All right, now we're going. Good. Cool. So, hello and welcome to Modest Conversations. I'm here with Tristan. Uh, great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, so listen, I mean, you and I, I think, I remember having dinner with you a long time ago yeah. when I worked at Facebook yeah. and talking a lot about kind of your area of focus and interest uh, around technology and attention and the marketplace of that and addiction and all that type of stuff. And at the time, you were just like massively ahead of the curve on what has now become like a problem everyone's talking about in one way, shape, or form. So I'm really excited to have you here yeah. to just talk about, I mean, this jam. Like, where are you? What's changed in your thinking recently? Even like, what are kind of the high level of like how you see this problem and like where we're going? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've, I think I've grown. What was that? Was that like 2014 that we had dinner or something? Well, it's not earlier. Not yeah. even earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. We've been talking about this for, for a long time. Um, well, uh, so back up for people who haven't know, like give, give, give a little bit of the, the spiel, so to speak, sure. and then let's jump sure, into sure, the, sure, the sure. finer points. Well, I think so I, I had kind of a lifelong interest in how people's minds get influenced by things that they don't see. Yeah. Uh, and the kind of the overall like hubris of you know, like, we're like in totally in control of our decisions. Um, and then as a kid, as a magician, you basically learn that like, there's just all these strings you can pull and people just won't see it. And so the weird thing is when you have like this sort of invisible version of that that's happening all the time with technology pulling on these strings. And uh, I became very interested in that when I was at Google and made this presentation, which I'm not sure if I had, I think I'd made that presentation at Google before I last talked to you. Basically, it was a presentation about the moral responsibility that Google has and all technology companies have at basically pulling on the evolutionary strings of mm-hmm. the human animal. Yep. And um, and I basically said, like, never before in history, if 50, 50 guys in San Francisco at three, four tech companies basically influence what a billion people are thinking every day. It went viral within Google. Um, I then basically carved out this weird role where I became a design ethicist and got to study which I kind of invented that, that, that name. No kidding. It wasn't really... Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't a role they had, like, a job posting up for. No, no, no. <laughs> but as you know how these things go, I was acquired, so it was more like that was, like, a, a way to sort of not leave Google, but also there wasn't really an empowered way to do it either. It was just really just studying what is ethical manipulation, what is ethical persuasion. So that's what I studied for four years. Uh-huh. Um, so if you had, like, a, a map, like an encyclopedia, of here are all the ways that the human animal can get manipulated, and then you had... Um, an intersection with that and design patterns and technology. And then you uh, basically then have like, what should it be manipulating towards? Those three like pillars were what I was studying. So how do people get manipulated all these different layers? How is technology pulling on all those exact same strings? And then like, how would you even reason about what the goods are? Yep. Uh, and what would it mean? So uh, I studied that for four years and, um, and that's when I think we had our conversation last and then left Google a year and a half ago because I realized just how screwed we are and how much we need to like, have a... <laughs> so you become more optimistic. Um, well, I'm, I'm optimistic about once you see how deeply, utterly screwed we are, um, I'm optimistic that everyone will agree that we need to change. Um, because there's just there's no way that we can survive like, doing what we're doing. So stepping back, like I mean, from a historical perspective, since yeah. you've studied a lot of this, I mean, how different is the internet? I mean, when I think about persuasion, I mean, like you know, the Romans were writing great essays on how to persuasion. I mean, yep. like persuasion is not a new thing, totally. right? Media is not a new thing. I mean, there's you, know, you can go through the the history of newspapers and radios and television. Like, and is this a point of discontinuity or is it just? more velocity. Yeah, exactly. So how do we know that this is actually a phase shift and, uh, let me turn off my phone, a phase shift and not just, um, 
you know, more of the same concerns. Well, and for what it's worth, it might not have to be a, a, like, step function or a phase shift for it to be newly important if it's just always get. But, like, are we on a continuous line or a discontinuous? I think it's discontinuous uh, for specific reason, for the exact same reason that people are concerned about AI, actually. Um, Because there's at least four qualitatively new things about this form of persuasion that are new. I think we really should even have a name for it. Um, We've been, frankly, like playing around with the name hyper persuasion. But there's sort of like in the same way there's a nuclear bomb is a qualitatively different kind of bomb than a regular bomb. Um, But but there's four distinct new elements of this form of persuasion. So one is that we went from a world where you access either a video game or radio or TV or computers to a world where you live by or are immersed in, you know, this environment mm-hmm. and screens. Because literally, like, 150 times a day, we check them um, from the moment you wake up. So, like, even just, like, that that first moment of waking up, your mind is programmed to think about my email that I'm behind on and the world is doing all this stuff and I've got to be... Like, all those thoughts enter your mind when, when you look at your phone. Yep. You wouldn't have had those thought clouds if you didn't look at your phone in the morning. Um, so we're immersed in this thing, the bathroom, the t- like go- going to sleep, the coffee line, like it's just all throughout the day. So that's it's one new thing. So yep. persuasion in an immersive environment. Second thing is social persuasion. So the ideal, the idea to put pull on people's uh, social psychological biases. Mm-hmm. So like um, we didn't used to have a medium where you could basically just fill people's day with evidence that they're other people's lives are better than theirs. Like TV, radio, computers didn't do that. Well, but they did do that. They just did it in like a less effective way. Less effective way. Actually, <laughs> like advertising would be like these people are running on a beach and maybe you should be too. But now we have the ability to show you how your friends specifically every day are like doing stuff without you. Yeah. Especially for like for teenagers or whatever. And it's, it's deeper than that. It's like I can, you pull on people's social obligations. So how much you feel like you owe people responses is that's all mediated by technology. And, um, you know, uh, radio didn't or TV didn't say you owe all these people in your life these things. Like when you turned on your TV, it didn't just throw these thoughts in your mind that I like, I owe all these people these things, mm-hmm. right? So that's brand new. Um, so social persuasion, 24-7 persuasion. Third thing is AI. So the idea we've strapped on an intelligence to this thing that basically tests like 60,000 variations yeah. of a thing and figures out what works on your specific mind. Yeah. This is really fucking important because when you think about how AI works, it's like, if you point AI at a chessboard, it like wiggles around for a while, makes some dumb moves, then it gets smart, then it makes some surprisingly good moves, and then it beats Gary Kasparov and it's just better than all of hum- humanity at, at chess. And you point it at Go and does the same thing, and now we pointed it at a new target, and we pointed it at this instrument, our mind. And it's not going to unbeat our minds when it beats it. Like It's, pre- it's predicting what's going to do something with our mind, and it's better than us. That's yeah. the thing. And the fourth element, which relates to the third is personalization, that it's it's actually personally targeted at your mind, not yeah. like what works on, every, I mean, it is what works on everybody, but it's using 10 years of information if you have a decade of behavioral data or whatever on Facebook uh, to figure out what works on you. So yeah. That's a really dangerous situation. Yeah, I mean, that is the only thing that, when I have thought through this before, the mass media stuff just isn't new, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you know, even the stuff that people think is new. Like, I, I love reading about the history of media. Like, basically, nothing, my kind of thing is you look at the internet and 99% of it, like, played out in the 1940s on the radio, right? Like, you know, the, the cult of personality sure. and, like, yeah, you know, people, you, you can go on and on and on. Like, this is not new stuff. What, what is different, I always like to think about it as like this hybridization of the public sphere and the private sphere, yeah. where you have public sphere scale, mm. but private sphere targeting, right? right? So like, you know, it's like politicians. Politicians could go and tell 50 different stories 50 different times to 50 different audiences, 
in living rooms, right? right. They could they did do that they, right. for centuries, right? right. Um, the only difference is the speed at which they can do that, and right. the scale at which they can do that, and the effectiveness, right? But right. I guess to get back to, I guess maybe it doesn't actually matter whether it's point of discontinuity or not. Like I get your argument that yeah. AI like does make it discontinuous, yeah. but I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. Well, how would it? Just curious. So, um, so for me, the fact that it is intelligent enhanced makes so how would it how would it not matter if it just curious well i'm just saying like look i mean so i guess the question in my mind is like is there some point of inflection that we've currently passed right we're like you like you you know things were growing this way or like this percentage people were influencing each other in this way and then all of a sudden like something happens boom you have like you know a cambrian explosion of influence or it's going to be and like you get a vertical line and like you just go to infinity and like it's totally different or maybe singularity yeah you have like the singularity of tools for doing this right um or you can make the argument that like actually there are no new tricks these are all old tricks but we're doing it just like way it's it's a continuous line but it's just a a steep continuous line right it kind of gets you to the same place either way right which is like you go from a world where you had this many venues to be sucked in or influenced and and the the level of um personalization um, an attachment you had was in this form, and now you know it's ten times bigger. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's. Uh, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty convinced about the discontinuity of it. But um, sorry, I lost my train. No, no, me too. So it's yeah. fine. So anyway, yeah. so so yeah. So we're at this point where like um, stuff is getting a little funky, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of people being sucked into these experiences. I mean, but it's not just it's not just sucked in. So one aspect is persuade. So. The AI, once it is really strong, can pull it towards you, towards whatever goal it's assigned to do. So if the goal is capturing attention, then the first problem is like, oh, we're addicted. But like, I'm actually not concerned with addiction. I'm concerned with the more like, we have this invisible system of power that every click we give it, it gets more resources and dollars and engineering power and more prediction. And then it's even stronger and better at predicting what will play out on the chessboard of your brain and get you to make the move it wants you to make. Yeah. And so the one version of that is addiction, but another version of that is political advertising, for example, the fact that I can message test like 20 billion variations sure. of Hillary's face or whatever and, you know, different uh, copy on buttons that gets you to donate or contribute. And the fact that it's not even about anything we care about, like in a democracy, not that it ever yeah, was, yeah. but it's just about what animates the human evolutionary animal. Got it. So um, let's just, those are both really interesting. So, so one, I guess one is, tell me if I've got this right. The yeah. first version, the addiction version is of what you could be worried about is like the old, the old famous like uh, AI designed to like optimize for paperclips. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, so like turns out time. that like, you know, like, look, it doesn't, you know, the, the, for those who aren't I mean, in on the joke, I mean, the joke is basically like you tell an AI, you know, optimize to make paperclips. It starts out by doing reasonable things. It eventually decides the best way to make paperclips more efficiently is to, like, drag a black hole over to Earth, yep. right? It doesn't, like, kill people intentionally. It just, like, byproduct destroys the world because right. it was told to make more paperclips, yep. right? And so that would be the kind of addiction version of this, right? Where it's, like, yeah. it's not inha- – I mean, addiction – that, So addiction is one of many externalities that comes from – let's just call these naive – or call them simple maximizers. Sure. So simple maximizers are just maximizing one Fine. simple metric, right? Um, so one externality of that is you just get people addicted because what it means is it's it's finding whatever animates your mind to spe- you know to, right. to stay on the screen for longer and and the, there's, there's and, a, then, and there's a really cynical version of this which says look in a world I mean I've heard this argument made which is in a world we're tending towards where there aren't jobs for people people need new types of meaning da da da, da. is it so bad for everyone to go into the matrix I'm not saying like I've heard the argument made by some technologists that like 
yeah, this is happening to some degree, yeah. but it's not necessarily bad, right? Um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. I can't really believe it. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. I mean, just if you think about, you know, if you want to make a developmental psychological or capacities angle on this and say, look, there's different people with different capacities. And sure. some people, no matter what you gave them, they would have gone for some kind of amusing themselves to death Wally style world, you know, anyway, some variation that given the current present day technology, they would have entered that world no matter what. But then there's all these people across the capacity spectrum that would have done, there's a sort of dynamic range of possibility of where they'd land yeah. in an empowering or supportive social environment. And based on that, you know, do we want a world that literally AI has basically been given a goal to capture them in front of screens? Or do we want a world that's where we're on the same side of the table as the AI saying, how do we empower ourselves to get where we want to go? Totally. And you and I are on the same side of the actual spectrum of this. But just for argument's sake, sure. I mean, there is the interesting... Sure, I mean, let's, let's I, the just for argument's yeah. sake, like, there is the, the argument that, for instance, um, I've heard the, the case made that actually... If you think about like the perfect game, right? Like mm-hmm. let's pretend you're an all-powerful being with like massive resources and access to AI and like you're just, you know, you're effectively a god. Yeah. Right? The first thing you do is make like a world that was like totally unbelievable for you and you'd like love it. And then you get super bored of it, right? And then you'd have to figure out like a way to make it more challenging. Yeah. Right. And you end up in the world where actually there's an argument that you'd kind of end up with the simulation being like our lives, where like you introduce death, it's important that you don't know you're actually in the simulation. Like sure. you end up with all these properties where it's like, actually, like we are playing the most interesting game we could come up with if we were super beings, right? Yeah, um, right now. Which is like an interesting like argument on the like, okay, what is your purpose? Like that. Now I'm like, you know, look, I, I grew up on the East Coast. Like I believe in the Protestant ethic. I believe we're trying to do cool stuff and like expand the world and expand knowledge. Like yeah. I'm not necessarily in that cynical camp. Yeah. But there is that camp running around. Sure. Right. Which says, yeah, like this stuff is addicting. There's no way around it, and that's okay. <laughs> I think the question is, is that okay? I mean, um, so another part of this. So addiction is one externality of the simple maximizer AI that's just sure. given the. Do whatever it takes to capture attention. But another one that I think is actually uh, what makes this more of an existential threat and why... I mean, there's always the cocktail party philosophical version of this conversation. Then there's like the, is there actually really like a, a deep, serious, like threatening problem here? The one that I'm most concerned about is when you're capturing, when you're doing whatever it takes to capture individuals' attention, you're basically shredding reality. You're shredding yes. societies into view, views where they only see what, what obviously things that confirm their worldviews. And they're actually of the belief that everyone else is subtly seeing the same thing because our mind doesn't know how to recognize that like right. everyone else is living in yes. totally different realities. Yes, yes, yes. And if we cannot make sense of the world together or agree on facts or yes. truth, we're fucked. No, this that's, is, like, that's like if you can't have a conversation, there's violence. So yeah. we, we need to be able to make society. Whole. And again, you go back to the historical parallelism. I mean, this is literally is the story of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Right, like which I, I think is one of the most fascinating. I'm not familiar, so tell me something. Oh, I mean, the yeah. basic, the upshot is, uh, I love this. I've actually been meaning to like make a point of this for a while, but like, and not that I've studied the Bible deeply, but the, the quick version of the story, and someone can correct me with the full version of the story, is humanity is one. They all speak the same language. Everyone's getting along. They decide they're pretty powerful because they can all collaborate. So they decide to build a tower to the heavens and they build this tower and it's getting super tall. And God is like, no, I don't want you building a tower to the heaven. And so what he does is he like basically curses humanity where they all, where they splinters the languages and everyone speaks a different language and they can't collaborate anymore right. and they can no longer build their tower to the heavens. And like, yeah. basically that is that's, like that's exactly, a lot of, exactly where we are. That's a lot like of societies right have this parable. Actually, yeah. it's not just like the, uh, there's actually, this is a story exists in many cultures oh, that's, to that's explain why. And the theory is that it, it's, it's, it's an attempt to explain why there's so many different languages on earth. Oh. Um, and they've all kind of come up like, a lot of societies over many generations just kind of like 
theoretically like emergently came to the same conclusion as to like that's the story effectively right but i always find it fascinating because i would argue what you're saying is exactly right and like the internet is our like tower to the heavens yep and like ai which is this very powerful thing or whatever that we've created is effectively you can call it god or not god or whatever but like it is basically the vehicle of us destroying our ability to communicate to each other exactly but the weird thing is we're, we're the ones programming with a goal and we don't have to program with that goal but right now if the goal is to capture attention which is to say if the business model is advertising unfortunately yeah. the thing if you're if you're in the game theoretic sense trying to outcompete someone else at capturing attention you have to cater to the individual totally so what we really need is an arms race that says hey look no one wins in the entire we scorch the earth that we're playing on if we're basically playing to capture individual attention, we actually would want a world where all AIs are at least, you know, in the race at the bottom of the brainstem, we're basically bringing up the bottom and saying we don't go past certain personalization. So, we actually do care about so, sort of shared So, okay, values. so let's talk about this. Because I remember when we, you and I had a conversation about this many years ago, and my big problem slash challenge of the way you were talking about it then was not the problem statement, which I think is real. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can argue about the degrees to it and all sorts of things, but, like, directionally I'm with you, yeah. right? But I was very unsatisfied with your then framework for like what you do about it and like Mm. how you would ever create an economy that or like what the rules you would actually practically want to put in place that would be good yeah right because i think one of the biggest problems with a lot of like questions right now or you think about the, the dynamic between uh surveillance and uh the truthfulness of information and freedom of expression that it has basically Any solution I've ever seen that for one of those spectrums basically forces you to sacrifice the others. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're, so, like, their values, they're in, in they're, they're in, in fundamental. And that's why it's, like, so challenging is because, like, these are, like, very core beliefs that used to basically work mostly because there was enough friction in society. They could all kind of peacefully coexist yep. in reality. Right. And really what the Internet's done is just re- destroyed the barriers between these theoretical strains, yep. which, like, forces us to resolve them. Yep. So, like, I don't know, like, how has your thinking evolved on that? Like, what do we actually do? Well, I think there's, there's a few things that can be done. Um, uh, I think the, the, to, to understand what the... Yeah, first you have to be really good at framing what the problem is. And I think the problem is um, we're still living in Evolution 1.0 hardware, and we're not getting out of it. You're stu- we're stuck in Evolution 1.0. And we can be as smart as we want or have as much knowledge as we want. We're still stuck in Evolution 1.0. We still care about belonging. If you show me photos of me missing out, if you show me you know, photos of, of, of uh, or opportunities on, on people who... Anyway, we're being overloaded. I'm with you. Yeah. So We're not going to get around our biological FOMO. Right. So, so what we need to do is really rebuild our institutions on a model of how the Evolution 1.0 architecture gets overloaded, hijacked, manipulated, uh, exceeded, uh, etc. Um, so um, we don't have problems in certain areas like health where we, we basically agree there is a norm that eight hours of sleep is like kind of what we need. Like, that's within the ergonomic limits of, like, a human life. Yeah, I mean, if you're a business insider, every once in a while you get the article you only need four, but get, I get the point. You get the point. I mean, <laughs> and, and people always have this, like, knee-jerk reaction to, like, you're telling me, like, you want me to sleep eight hours? It's like, no, but there's kind of an ergonomic limit. In the same way that it's like, look, I could give you a misshaped pair of scissors, and you could use it, but, like, eventually, if it's misshaped, like, it's ergonomically out of limits with, like, the, the, the sort of geometry of your muscles, right? Totally. So the same thing is true of what we need in, on a sort of Maslow's level of human needs. There's, like, an ergonomics to Maslow, and right now, our technology is basically just fucking with the entire architecture, Right. Now, if we were really careful about the metaphorical equivalence of what those eight hours of sleep are for, for, for sleep, um, and we could say, well, what do we need in terms of um, face-to-face time? Right? Yep. Like, what do we need in terms of 
you know, being, being, you know, physical activity? What do we need in terms of uh, what does it mean to have the ergonomics of understanding, like to understand something? Does understanding come through like feeds where every single thing you see is different than the last thing? There's sort of this false equivalence of like the, the world could end because of North Korea right next to my friend just had baby photos. That does something. <laughs> that does something. That does something to uh, to the human mind body system, right? Like, is it it's it's playing with our. Sense I hear of what's you. Important. But what do you do about it? Like, because I assume that you're not going to say that you believe like the government should mandate. That like everyone get eight hours of sleep at night, and if you don't get eight hours of sleep, you go to jail. No, but if we talk about defaults, right? So if we're setting up default choices, so we always live in choice architectures, and there's always the ability to choose off the menu, but it takes the expenditure of conscious energy to get off the menu. So for example, uh, you have a phone that's currently set up to basically deliver like every notification to you in every way and every from every app by default. And so if you want to change that, you can, but like that takes a lot of energy, a lot of knowledge, and only a small minority of people are going to know and like kind of update those settings. And instead, we could say, hey, look, let's make the phone or all these technology things that we, we design have defaults that are closer to the ergonomics of being human. So, uh, yeah, and like you're talking to someone who's like, I leave my phone in low motion, black and white, right? Like I mostly leave I it noticed, with inverted yeah. colors because I like think it actually makes the phone less engaging, yep. but still a great information same, device, yeah. right? And I like... I'm into that. I talk to people. I show them how to turn those settings on. I notice you also have a uh, one of these smaller. Uh, yeah, I only I use an SE. I don't like big phones for a whole bunch of reasons. Yep. Like I, I I get it from a personal perspective, but from like an economic perspective, I mean, like literally, I think the iPhone X just came out like yep. today, right? Yeah, yep. and like it's beautiful, right? And like people want it, right? So like what I mean. Is in your ideal world, if you could like wave a wand, how are we gonna get out of this? Well, like, how do you actually make it work in capitalism, right? Yeah. Or like, how do you graft into the system? Like, sure. how do, am I gonna pay more? Like, what's yeah. it, how's it gonna work? Totally. So, so I think there's a few ways to get around this. Um, so you can't obviously ask any actor in the attention economy, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube, to not do what they're doing because no. it's just their business model. That's literally um, what they're designed to do. It's literally what they're designed to do. Um, but one thing is we should acknowledge that that's true because right now they don't tend to talk about it so that that's true, but that is their business model. Um, so so you can't ask any actor well, in the I attention would, economy. Can I give Facebook a little bit of defense though for a second? Sure. Is whether or not, and again, however you think about this in the short term, I do think that, that a lot of these companies are pretty sophisticated long-term thinkers yeah. led by very sophisticated people who actually do care about things, right? right? And so, yes, and I think so. I think the, 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 the glass half full perspective is say yes, like obviously these businesses are supported by advertising. Advertising is supported by personalization and attention. Like that's yeah. undeniably true. But everyone also knows that like if you go too far in one direction, right, yeah. or like you don't provide a great information experience, right, um, more broadly, like you're not going to last for too long, right. right? Um, so I do think there's some sophistication there. I just think that at the end of the day, like you're saying that they, they that they're they would be. They would love the idea of switching, but you're saying the game theoretically they're caught. You're saying that they they understand that we are totally civilization no, screwed. If we, I, I don't, I don't platform. even think it's. Like, I don't think they're. I mean, again, I can't speak for anyone yeah, anymore, sure. certainly, right? Yeah. But like, I would say, like, I don't think. It, I just, I don't think it's so black and white. And I do think, for instance, Facebook's newsfeed, for instance, is not the maximally optimized time spent newsfeed they could possibly invent, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are parameters, right, which I think is about long-term health, right, mm -hmm. um, right, of the system, which do matter. That said, I kind of go back to my first question, right, like, you know, caveats aside, which is like, look, who's paying for this, right? Like, someone's got to pay for this, yep. right? Well, so, I mean, in an ideal world, uh, 
consumers pay for it. Um, but that's really hard, especially from a network effect style of business where you have 2 billion people that would all need to suddenly start paying for it. That's very hard to do. Even though the actual average ARPU, what is it, $15 a, a year basically for, I mean, I cross. I think that's a little out of date. I think it's, I think it's more, it's complicated because you like have to look globally. Well, there's, and, I mean, yeah, and averages are really not useful, but, no. um, but just to think about that, like, uh, you know, you, there's different, so either humans pay, people pay, sorry, the users pay or governments pay, um, if you think of it as the new public square. But the problem there is, of course, repressive, repressive regimes that are then saying... Hey, yeah, I don't think you me. want that. Well, it's, it's certainly different than governments regulating. I mean, there's, there's different, different benefits here. But it, um, if you think of it as, like, we're creating infrastructure for, for social information flows, we got to pay for it. It already exists. So, and we can't have advertisers pay for it because we're going like, to, bl- like, blow ourselves off a cliff um, in terms of uh, shredding societies into these like filter bubbles, which we can't talk to each other in the Babel scenario. So we, we have to get out of it somehow. So that, there's, there's a, that's that question there is who's going to pay for it, either users or, or governments or... Well, but even more, even more basically, like I assume, and again, you can tell me I'm wrong about this, but let's pretend that tomorrow Google said, you know what? We know there's a small minority of people that like to have their phones in black and white, but with low motion. Yeah. We know it's less engaging, right? We know they're going to download fewer apps. We know they're going to be less committed to their devices. But you know what? We're going to release either a device, right, which is the, like, like the basic device, yep. right, or, like, a setting, right? It's really easy for people to turn on, which is, like, low motion, low whatever setting, right? Like, is that – if you study the market – Am I? Are you and I the only people who buy that phone, right? And then yeah. two, even if we bought it, who cares? Like, are there t- there are too few people who care about? There's too few people who care. But I think so. Um, instead of just talking about it as as you know, phones and, and devices, um, you're you're saying how do we get out of this? So you obviously can't ask any actor in the attention economy, but you can go up a level. To your point, and you can actually get the people who make the devices themselves, which currently Apple's the market leader, whose own whose business model is not based on attention. Google. With Android is still based on attention, so yep. you can't really ask Google to do this. And I know I found that out from being on the inside, um, because Android requires people to spend a lot of time on the phone. Um, so Apple's our friend here, potentially Microsoft or Amazon if they chose. Is to Apple be really your friend though? I can't imagine that like it's good for them for people to be like less attached to their devices. I mean, they literally just swapped the device, trying to slap devices on people's wrists and made the screens bigger. Yeah, well, um, certainly as growth taps out. They have to, this is the problem with capitalism, they have to find somewhere to grow. And um, the question is, can they find growth in people valuing a device that actually stands for their values as opposed to a device that um, is basically built to, to hijack them um, or enabling at least a wild west form of hijacking? I, I think so there's two sides of this. One is what I'm trying to do is go out there and basically show why this current path we're on isn't just like a minor inconvenience, but we're actually like dead as a society, basically, if we do this. Yeah. I mean, we, we are. I mean, if we, if we shred... Um, society into filter bubbles and we can't talk to each other we're we're that's the end of us um uh it's it's very very dangerous what we're dealing with once everyone sees that also when you see what we're doing to kids i mean with the snapchat streaks feature i don't know if you saw that in the i have avoided or, that one what is the what's the snapchat streaks um, feature? so you know keeping in mind oh snapchat, i do actually know what this is this is like you get points for doing it every day and yeah so then, yeah yeah exactly uh, not just points but you lose your streak if you don't keep doing it so you gotta keep your streak going. you gotta keep your streak going and it sounds so innocuous but kids like literally give their password to five other friends if they don't keep their streak going and it stresses them out and um it's just very very effective uh, and it also turns it changes the um, the terms of how kids know that they are best friends with someone. So yeah. the way they define their friendship is whether or not their streak really is the biggest streak compared to their other friends. So the problem is when Snapchat does this, it's just like their their interests in doing this are not about how do we most empower kids to have the most expressive friendships. They're just doing it because it's good hooking kids to the screen. 
And the problem is that we're fucking over an entire generation of children. And I think that anyone who's a parent is like going to be deeply concerned about that. And the thing that gives me optimism about this changing is that people in Silicon Valley, um, we all have good intentions. We're not like the tobacco companies where we like, we're trying to like predict people. Like that's actually not what we want to do. So we just have to be really honest about where the current incentives are and, and why we can't keep going down the path. So the first step is, can we educate people that like this, this set of externalities that we're pushing downstream to society are just like unacceptable for the world that we want to create. Um, and I think with our conscience, we can get there. And the second super thing is, hard like, to do, but keep super keep hard to do, but you have to do it. Cause again, if you, if you realize that we basically already built runaway AI and it's runaway shredding. Society yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally agree with the assessment that one of the easiest objective functions to build for a data-rich system is a feedback loop around attention, and everyone has therefore built these because they're the first version and the easiest thing to build. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, but then the question is then how, who's, so once, so the assumption is if you educate people, then people will have a stronger reason to buy something. So I think, you know, Apple, I found out, you know, I think that they, they did not have some kind of long-term uh, deliberate strategy to stand for user privacy. It wasn't like from the beginning, from Steve Jobs going there in 1998 saying, you know, hey, we're going to make Apple stand for user privacy. They kind of like backed themselves into that by accident. Like it turned out all these other companies because of advertising were um, not standing for people's privacy. Apple by accident because it was just providing a device did stand for people's privacy. Do you think people actually care about well, that? Well, they didn't care that much and they don't care like so much now, but they certainly care a little bit. And now Apple's turned that into a business proposition. They're basically saying, if you care about privacy, this is the one phone, and this is the, what the San Bernardino thing is all about, and what the, you know, hey, we, we throw away the lock and key to your data, like we're just encrypting it, like we're not selling your data to anybody else because that's not our business model. They turn that into a business proposition. They turn it into a business proposition later. And the same I'm just thing not sure. So is that just pushing on this, though? Yeah. My take on that is that plays really well to technical Silicon Valley people, mm-hmm. right? Like I, my argument would be that, like, that's great recruiting, uh-huh. Right, like I think lots of people who like really care deeply about these things and think about these things and do work in Silicon Valley, like oh, like I really believe in right. encryption and privacy and whatever, and therefore Apple's a good company, therefore I should go work there. So, but is that really consumer marketing? Because I don't read it as consumer marketing. Um, I think that uh, it is a little bit from what I've heard. Uh, I, I agree with you that not that many consumers are concerned about privacy, which is one of the big sort of challenges we face. Is just there's all these things that have. There are too many, there's too many hops you have to make in your brain logically before you understand what a big deal it is. Yeah. That it's just not going to be a, a large appeal to consumers. So I agree with you that it's not, it's, it's not primarily to consumer marketing, but I think increasingly it will be. Like once there's more reactance, cultural reactance to um, you know, the stuff that's been coming out around um, being able to target people based on the phrase Jew hater or whatever, things like that. People, there's ways that this is going to basically. You know, yeah, but I, I see, I don't think that's going to carry. I mean, again, you can tell me I'm wrong, but I don't think that's going to carry the day long term because I do think that we happen to hit for a whole bunch of reasons a particularly bad anomalous moment, mm. right? That we'll get through. Mm. Like, I'm more of an optimist about the extreme stuff than you because mm. I do think that the, the industry will be naturally policing and got out over it ahead of its skis in certain areas and like the really extreme stuff people can get pretty comfortable with again pretty quickly like for instance i think facebook's recent move which i wrote about like they should do i I made a point i wrote an article about this in january saying like look the only solution for big tech is you don't want to limit speech but you should own up to what you say and therefore all pages should say who they targeted and what the ad was and let the public advocates go tear through the data and right. figure out who's doing what terrible things, yeah. right? Which I'm really happy to see they did. So I feel like the like extreme targeting cases and those type of stuff is going to get taken care of, yeah. right? So the question is like, what are you going to graph to? Like how, like taking it into the attention economy piece, like what is the pitch, right? It's going to be like, oh my God, like, 
this is going to get consumer adoption or like what do you do right uh, so what do you do, what do you like, I, again like take the consumer thing like well, how are you going to sell this back to consumers well, I mean, you, yeah, you, were about, so, you were talking about the fact that you have this this small phone it's sitting right in front of us it's yeah. black and white you know it's, it's uh, and, and you can turn off all these settings and make it kind of minimized mode or whatever yep. um, life mode yeah and, and then I use them again not to pitch my own service but like a lot of the thing with Finn is I don't want to use my phone so sure. instead I just talk my commands to it and it gets taken care of and I don't think about it. And so exactly. I can spend less time looking at a screen. Well, exactly. Um, so now imagine, so I'm with you on that. I mean, in fact, this is what I worked on. You don't know this, but I actually worked on personal assistant stuff at Google, very yeah. similar to stuff that you're doing now with Finn. Um, so I know this space very well. And um, uh, the, the, the thing that we need to move to that actually helps us get out of the attention economy is more conversational interfaces. Because conversational interfaces or transactional interfaces get you to app stores that measure outcome, how much life benefit is delivered, yeah. not how much attention you get. And yeah. you can change that not by changing the apps or trying to tell Facebook or YouTube not to do what they're doing, but going up a layer and saying, what if the actual choice-making system, the choice-making environment on a phone, like the actual core interface, was not little colorful app icons? What if it was actually a verb-based thing where I'm saying the things that I want to converse with my phone so, about? So are you then worried about, like, what's your take on, like, is Echo good or bad? Like, is having an Alexa at home? I'll give you an example. So our son, we have a nine-month-old now, and, like, there's, he's, like, can't, he's not allowed to see screens, like, yeah. for sure, right? And, like, every once in a while, like, I'll accidentally have my laptop screen open and his eyes, like, will not come off of it and I have to shut it because it's just, like, no screens. But he is, like, passively aware at nine months that there's, like, a voice in our room that, mm-hmm. like, like, respond when I say, like, play, you know, what is, we've been doing a lot of, um, recently, um, Mr. Ed, he loves the song, the theme song of the TV show. It's like, he's like, I say, like, Alexa, play Mr. Ed, and like, sorry, everyone. And, uh, and, and like, his, you know, he pops up, he's like, who's this person that's speaking to me? He's like, is that better or worse? Like, what's your, t- is that a good, is that a good outcome? Um, well, uh, I always go to the, the church of Neil Postman on this, which is, um, we're so we're so drugged by the capacities that technologies give us that we actually forget like what's the problem that this is the solution for. Um, so if if we've ever like woken up and really had the problem of not being able to play Mr. Ed um, really quickly, then for someone who has that problem, that's great. Um, but for in my mind, I think focusing on where is technology really delivering like phenomenological, uh, phenomenologically better realities for society or for individuals in life. So where so the phrase time well spent was, was carefully chosen by Joe Edelman and I. We mm-hmm. both met with you at that time that we were dinner, um, because it's about a retrospect. Because time is the last finite resource, and attention is the last finite resource. Um, there's a difference between that which we consider to be an, a choice that we embrace that's durable over time mm-hmm. that we cherish. This is like that was really like a choice of yeah. time and use of time that that got me somewhere. That's where that that was that was important. Um, it wasn't fleeting. Uh, I didn't regret it. It's not empty. I leave it feeling fulfilled. We don't have language in the, in the English language for uh, the, the sensation of full but empty. Yeah. It? But versus full I bet the Japanese do. Japanese do. <laughs> I mean, uh, Max Leaf is this fam- famous Chilean economist um, that, that some famous Silicon Valley CEOs I will not mention is a, is a fan of. Uh, and he basically has this nice need, nice way of describing uh, we have all these human needs, and we have this 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 dynamic range of satisfiers for human needs. So there's things called violators, which claim to satisfy a need, but actually make things worse. It's politically controversial, but he's, he would say guns do that. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have pseudo-satisfiers that give you the feeling that it satisfies the need, but actually leaves you feeling empty afterwards. Yeah. There's a whole category Splenda. of things. Splenda. is like that. Sugar, salt. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think if you're looking for... To, to heal loneliness, then virtual forms of, of social interaction are probably more like full but empty or, or pseudo-satisfiers. 
um, on the spectrum, right? Then you have single satisfiers where you have a human being with a need, like let's say a baby is hungry, and this is the core example. Um, you, you give it a bottle bottle of milk, um, and so that's a single satisfier. Mm-hmm. Or there's synergistic satisfiers where you, you teach the baby to fish, and then right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's actually the example that he gives is you, you give the baby a breastfeeding experience where you're providing warmth, security, identity, like family, like oh, you're meeting like many many different needs in a lasting way all at once. So you would just say, like, interesting way of measuring an economy is being like, okay, let's take all human needs. Let's take, like, take your model, whether it's Maslow, take its, yeah. you know, the Ed Diener model of subjective human well-being. You've got all these different vitamin bins of human needs. And just saying, how well are we doing? Like, where are we on the spectrum from pseudo-satisfiers and violators all the way up to synergistic satisfiers? And so a, a pretty easy sort of ethic would be to say, we'd want to push, this is similar to Sam Harris' point about the moral landscape, we'd want to push towards the landscape of synergistic satisfiers wherever possible. Because it's also like saving it. energy resources. I get it. But just, just to push you on this, though, because this is the thing I'm always get wrapped up on. It's like, yeah. okay, we can, uh, let's pretend there's a spectrum of people that agree on the problem statement and degrees of seriousness. I think you, you basically have that. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think anyone thinks this is a total non-issue. Right. right. It's a question of how seriously they're taking it. Yeah. Um, does capitalism get us there either because some company, Apple, someone else says, you know what? There's actually a market for the low motion phone. And, you know, basically consumers grow out of it, right? Like people, there's an argument that, for instance, Americans are growing out of sugar, Mm -hmm. right? That like actually the obesity problem is massive, but tending in the right direction, right? Right. Because people have kind of like just, so we've we've grown out of it, right? So like there's a bunch of problems in the third world and like that sucks, but like there's a trajectory that gets us to the other side through hardware. There could be a trajectory, and I'm curious what you think about this, which is actually we'll grow out of it to your point because of conversational interfaces and Alexa and whatever else where like technology kind of just fades into the background and interfaces which are ever present, which I actually think creates a whole other type of like psychosis, right? That's a great point. So to your point, that creates a different problem. So the question is, is that like if you you woke up tomorrow and like Google now was just awesome, Mm -hmm. right? And actually we don't even need screens because like, I mean – Either we're jacked in directly, or like we can just speak voice commands in the world, like the world of the movie Her. Yeah. Like, does that make you happy? Like, are you happy with that outcome? Like, is that good, well, or is you, that like something that makes you like you have this thing? It's the same problem. No, well, I think it it frees up certain attentions. I mean, I think the reason I brought up conversational interfaces, and you know this already, is if you took an interaction that would normally take place with a visual graphical interface and a screen, and we are yeah. like looking at stuff and navigating through menus, and then the screen updates, and you have a whole new set of things to yeah, yeah, scroll yeah. through, just like the exact same task, but playing out over a graphical interface versus a conversational interface. Conversational interfaces just compresses the amount of ideally. interaction time. Ideally, yeah. But usually that's what that's what it would do. So just already we're, we're basically freeing up a lot of human conscious energy simply by converting many, many uh, experiences that could be conversational into conversational experiences. Sure. Um, but it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of what's the ergonomics of, of being human. So if we care about, for example, reflective choices – we don't want a, an environment where you're immersed in um, these like always on listening experiences that are just like if we're, if we're plugging a jack into the human being, do we want to plug it into the bottom of like the impulsive side of the brainstem or do we want to pull it and like, plug it into the reflective side? So do we want a world where essentially Alexa is like basically there to help you with reflective choices, but not really there for like impulsive choices? But how do you do I mean, I go back to like, and again, I don't mean to be a jerk about this, but I'm just yeah. trying to like grapple with this is the thing I, I've always just struggled with is like. Again, I get the problem statement. I get everything you're saying. Yeah. But, like, you basically have – in my mind, there's, like, two options. You can either come to, like, a regulatory answer, mm-hmm. which seems really scary for a bunch of reasons. Yep. Um, and, like, not something 
least personally I would choose, right. um, but, but it is a thing. Yep. Um, or you get to a, actually, this is just a growth stage issue with technology and we're just going to grow out of this naturally. So the reason I don't think we're going to grow out of it is the same way we don't, you know, Gary Kasparov doesn't grow out of the AI beating him. Like, it, once the chess be- game beats him, it's like, it's over for humanity. So we have to change things. So we're not, a really important thing in terms of... But just to push you on that, like, you grew out of it, so did I. I didn't, actually. I mean, I, I would say that I'm very addicted to my phone, and I'm probably more addicted now than I was years ago. You think so? Absolutely. And I think that's the thing about this. It's like, we, if we actually acknowledge that we're still, again, inside of Evolution 1.0, like, this stuff is going to get more and more powerful. Um, I'm certainly more aware of it, and I try to resist, and I try to use much more of it, much less, the more I found out even. I mean, it's been this process of waking up. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still, it's very, very, very powerful. I mean, it's, it's like if someone's putting a slot machine, if you're if you're already an addict, and you have this history of being an addict, right? We all are in the tech industry. I mean, you, anyway, mm-hmm. everyone's talking about this. Um, and then you say, okay, great, I'm trying to put these distances between these, these things I don't want to use. But when you wake up in the morning, and you have to, for my life, like know whether I'm late to these three like media interviews or documentaries I'm supposed to do today. Like I have to check, and so that if that stuff is right next to my, you should just my use core phone. life. <laughs> yeah, well, I should use phone. Well, you guys should make a phone. Is what the answer is. You guys should actually make a phone because because here's the thing. Honestly, the way we're going to get there is either Apple's going to make the change and they're going to offer. Um, they're going to make the phones by default or offer a special, a different kind of phone. But even as they, my more. point is that they do that, no one's going to buy that phone. Well, that's a separate issue. I think that, I think we get to a point where either. <laughs> but it's not. It's not really or... a separate issue because if people would buy the phone, Apple would make the phone. Well, again, I think people will would buy the phone if we were to change the context, the choice making context, so people understood how adversarial the current environment is to their entire life and to our okay, society. Okay, so this, this is the other thing: is you really believe that it has this has to come from the people and be like a social movement? Well, no, I mean, I, I think that's a long. I don't think we have time for that. I think we're all dead if we wait that long. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'm not. I'm not joking. Around so I'm not, I, and I don't mean to be making light of your your thing because I actually agree with a lot of your points. I'm just yeah. trying to like get to like all right tomorrow. You're like super empowered. The fastest but you way can't... to do that would be so the fastest the reason to ring up Apple um, because the fastest way to do it is either regulation where you do tomorrow you do it from the and what would the regulation side. be? That's that's a whole other conversation. It's very hard. <laughs> you don't want government policymakers who have no idea how technology works, the ergonomics of being human, or don't know design or whatever. Yeah. Deciding what these phone interfaces should look like. But the problem is, how do we basically get companies to do the thing that we want them to do? So it's interesting is actors like me and you who've been inside the system who know what the failure modes are. But if we could get together and actually talk about in an ideal world, if we were regulating these things to, to do what we think would be better for people, because we really thought we got anthropologists together, we got psychologists together, we got sociologists together, and we said, okay, what makes you know an empowering choice-making architecture? What makes for a great society? How do we set up the choice architecture so it's better for that? That sounds utopian, but it's certainly better well, than asking either, the question. It's just funny. I actually think it sounds like completely dystopian. I mean, imagine like a crazy version of this. Okay. Like imagine, again, you're a super persuasive guy. You've got a lot of momentum in a lot of you're doing. You were able to like convince the CEOs of every major show to be like, you know what? We should have a Shabbat. You know what I mean? Like oh, right. Shabbat. Like, we should Shabbat. just do Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, right. We should just like turn off the internet. Yeah. Every Saturday, every Saturday, Sunday, every Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Just turn it off. Yeah. Right. It'll be fine for your numbers because people will come back even harder. You know, whatever. Like right. you can make that argument. Right. right. Sure. Like that's crazy. Right, like that would be like insane. Like I, well, I feel like that would be. Here's the thing, and it's so much of this is status quo bias because um, you know a weekend is a human invention. We should all be working totally. all the time. It, it, libertarians could say, "Fuck you." Well, it's actually we not only liber- it's actually like a very modern invention. Yeah, right? no, it's, 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 actually, a, it's a union. We can thank the unions for it. Yeah. Okay. So I'd actually I'd like to learn learn more about the the actual sort of historical development and yeah. establishment. Weekend's a new the, thing. Right. It's a new thing. 
But I'm curious about like how we establish that this was sacred time that we're like we're all and we're all going to agree not just that we we have these free few days and you get to have them for you. If we had the ultimate libertarian society be like, hey, look, this, we're imposing way too much on people. We should let it, each of us slice up our, our 48 hours into whatever places we want. Well, but that's not what society is about. There's an argument that actually the weekend is kind of at this point like an upper middle class phenomenon, right? Right. Sure. Like, that's true so too. I don't even think there's we really. I mean, I think there's an inequality thing you get, you can't grapple with on all this stuff. Absolutely, but but I mean, I, I think that. Um, you know what we what the reason it was created in part is because we know that like society works better when we all get some time off, we all get breaks, and we all get breaks at the same time. So because we don't want to be breaks just to be by ourselves and with the screen, we want to be having a break so we're with each other so at the same day. I don't think that's historically accurate, but I agree with the emotional idea of it, <laughs> which is not historically accurate. That's not why we have weekends. Like I mean, it might be actually if you want to make the argument that might be why we like we had churches and like like the Sabbath like way back sure, when. Sure. But like the actual modern weekend is like a totally union negotiated thing right yeah but like well we, well we need but we need the point is um, i mean part of it's henry related to henry ford right in the 40-hour work yeah, yeah. And these kinds of things like what the optimal work curve is so the point is that there's that's like the short-term long-term thing this is the equivalent of like hey i'm an attention economy based company but and i can totally get more attention from you now but i'm just going to burn you out so then the long yeah, yeah. so that so, that so that that would be interesting i mean that would be if you can make compelling so again like I go back to like what are the options the regulation thing, I think you both and I can agree, could could happen, and it would be like totally just weird. You know what I mean? Like, I think it'd be very, very strange. And also, like, the reality is, is like, best you're gonna do is like country by country, right? Which is also super strange because yeah. like we live in a global environment. Yeah. Like, it would be I don't know. There's a lot of interesting. I think there's just like I mean, that. like with all the people that have, that have studied this problem, I think. Like, it would be easy, really not that hard. I mean, this is, frankly, all I've worked on the last few years. I mean, pe- people underestimate, they think I'm just criticizing this stuff. I've actually thought about, deeply about a blueprint for, like, how you would redesign home screens, lock screens. Yeah, yeah, no, I know you have. To, and, and I think the point is that there's actually a better empowering default choice menu that's more aligned with people and less aligned with apps and attention. Yeah, I totally and, and agree that there is. The question is, can you thing. sell it, right? right? Like, can you sell it to consumers or you can do the government thing or you can do, like... A social movement. I mean, it's just like there are only so many vectors of sure, power. Sure. And like the question is, is like, let's pretend like the world wake up tomorrow and like a large, which I think, honestly, for what it's worth, I give you great credit because I think this is a problem that you were very vocal about very early in the life cycle of people recognizing it as a yeah. problem. So I think, you know, I mean that in a very sincere way, but I think like the big challenge is like, it's kind of like, so what? You know what I mean? Like, what do we do now? And like, I would love, and again, I know you've been working on this to see like economic like blueprints like how do we actually get this done yeah right? sure well so one metaphor that before we get to that um because it's important to recognize that sometimes there are, there are moments in history where we, we basically recognized only later it sounds really awful but that something our entire economy based was based on is morally repugnant so like slavery i use this example with kara swisher is really interesting because when the british empire decided we want to give this thing up this is really bad um uh it took them 60 years of sacrificing two percent of their gdp every year for 60 years and this is like climate change. There's moments where an entire economy is actually propped up by something that we we are basically slowly getting out of denial about is really really bad. Like it's not good for us. And sometimes you can you can you can uh, price the thing the world you want to get to as like a premium. That's like solar power that costs expensive. It's expensive and then it goes yeah, down. Yeah, so one thing you well, could... it's like organic food. Like in Whole Foods, it costs more and then sure. the price goes down. So that's one model. Is you build the Whole Foods of 
you know, maybe Finn does yes. this, you know. So, you, so one version is someone comes in and comes out competes at the top of the market. Yes. And they get basically that's the that's the that's the nicest version because just yeah. it's just competition. No right. big deal. Right. right. Like all you have to do is like compete but in our natural framework. The problem is as you know, if we're in a situation like now where Google and Facebook have these sort of lock in effects, Google for the sake of the amount of data and processing power that it has is just like ten years ahead of anybody else in search, you really can't catch up. Same thing with I know you we, we disagree a little bit about this, that, that Facebook's and, and network effects of the network effects basically aren't quite as locked in as, as we think, and it's actually possible for competitors to emerge. But but yeah, we'd have to get there with with basically some. But that's again, that's convenient and awesome, and probably improbable. Right, right. It's so hard. Then, it's hard. So then, like, another thing you could say, I mean, it's not crazy. I'm sure you've talked to people about this. Is like you could do an attention tax. You could just yeah. say like Americans' attention are worth X. Yep. Right. And if well, you, this is the equivalent of CO two things. You're like, hey, look, we are in this bad situation where the current cap and trade of attention. Up. Cap and trade of attention. I mean, I thought a lot about this. I think that one thing you could that do, seems viable. Have you, who have you talked to with politicians about that? Um, a little bit. Not not that much. Politicians. We um, we'd like to. Act actually organize a workshop. Um, so all the evidence is there, but what the harms are across the sort of human animal spectrum and societal spectrum, almost like we're, we're just almost like categorizing a new set of CO2 for society in the inner world. Um, so just like what are, what are each design patterns doing and what's a way of unifying the kind of currency well, cost? Could you even just go a step further and just be like, look, every American, every moment is precious, right? Yeah. Like anytime you are engaging an American in work, in play, in entertainment, whatever, there's just like an American attention tax, right? Yeah. And like you can then set the level on that, right? Yeah. So you set it in a way that like companies can afford it. Nobody, you know, you can set yeah. it in an interesting way. It's kind of an interesting, different concept than like a minimum wage type concept, right? Well, then, so are you saying you tax you tax the attention companies with that tax? Well, you tax anyone who uses human a- attention. Anyone who uses human attention. So yes. companies use human attention. Right. Yeah. TV uses human attention. Yeah. Social media uses human attention. You're like, cool. I'm going to multiply the amount of human attention you used of my population yep. by the multiplier, yep. which you can change over time, yep. right? Uh, or it evolves, yep. right? Which is what I think human attention is worth. Mm-hmm. And then we all, I mean, that actually is not the craziest idea I've ever heard. No, totally. Um, I just think what's interesting <laughs> to, is that, to validate my own idea. I'm sorry. Well, I think that the interesting thing is when, when you frame it as human attention, it is about human attention. But what people miss about this is, um, I'm always fascinated, like, if you go, like, a little, a couple layers deeper in, what, what is attention? So, like, rep- when you use the word attention, the representation that comes up in most people's mind is they think that their attention is, like, a spotlight inside of their mind. And that if you take my attention away, you, like, pull the spotlight, like, off, off its focus or something yep. like that. And so, therefore, the only cost is, like, you pulled it for two minutes. And so, what was lost was two minutes. Yeah, yeah. This is a really bad representation of problem. because of context switching and the cost of context switching. Context switching, and, but not even just that. I mean, like, it's belief, right? So, like, if I put your, you know, this whole thing of, like, Facebook is in the Ministry of Truth. You don't want us to be the Ministry of Truth. But if you're controlling attention, you're already controlling the kinds of thoughts people are having. Attention is actually before truth, right? So, um, it's really important that we can actually distort all sorts of people's thoughts and beliefs just by controlling where their attention goes. So, it's not like, your attention was going to go here, and then you lost it for two minutes. Therefore, we should count for context switching plus two minutes equals this net sort of attentional cost. So I think it's really important that we look at this as distortion. So where are we adding basically like fog or distortions to people's lives? Fair, but I would argue that any practical system you're going to come up with needs measurement, yeah. right? And any measurement you're going to have to do, I mean, you're going to have compromise. There's always a difference between reality and what you can measure as reality, and they're never perfectly aligned. When they get yeah. too far apart, is when you get into trouble. Yeah. But as long as they're basically directionally aligned and you're trying to create a system that's viable, right? Yeah. Like, it's not crazy to just be like, look, 
There's 24 hours in a day. A human lifespan is X hours. So, so at the very least, so if we're looking just at costing mechanisms, we can sim- we can we just go from the simple to the complex. And we have this landscape of, of models that you could use. The simplest one, as you've said, is just like time and, and lost attention and also context switching. And if you just have a way of unifying pricing that out, yeah. we can basically model interfaces and model different each application with like sampler Chrome extension things that or, and phone extension things that basically kind of capture what's the CO2 footprint on average of each app based on the kinds of things that it's doing. Sure. And you have some rankings. And you also can actually tax them based on that. That's absolutely a model we'd like to. One of the things I'm trying to do actually this week, there's a conference in Berkeley later in the week um, called the Psychology of Tech Conference. They're bringing in all these different diversity of researchers from like sociologists to the developmental psychologists for kids to others. And if we actually come up with a unified currency of the cost, we can then start to do things like well, that. Well, can I, can I throw one crazy side effect of you doing this out there though? Sure. You'd probably be good for Facebook, right? Because in a cap-and-trade model, the most efficient producers of money per unit of attention win. Yeah. Right? And actually, actually, I guess it would be the highest CP time, like cost per time. Whoever can charge the most per time effectively are the people who will benefit the most. Right? And so if you're more, if you're more efficient and monetizing your time than someone else then a system like this would actually benefit you. So you know who get crushed by oh, this? Saying, because the most efficient advertisers are saying are... are well, the most efficient advertising platforms, right? So basically, because if, if you were to create coming. this, right, and like this cap and trade model, again, like I don't think it's a, a bad thing, but again, like I like Facebook. Sure. But the... Um, is... It would potentially be good for the world for a whole bunch of reasons, but you would really end up putting out of business the people who are very inefficient economically with time. Mm-hmm. Right, like yeah. you wouldn't necessarily make it. It actually probably be pretty good for the most you efficient. Do a progressive, a progressive attention tax, though, or you know, you tax the. the, the yeah, but that's harder to justify, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's about fairness, right? So the the point is that it's not just about linear, like um, how much money can you make per per unit time, and then we'll we'll price attention equally based on consumption. This is another area where like a simple model of of, of CO two would not just be. Um, I mean, basically, it would include some of your the, the level of equality or sort of hegemonic sort of power structure. Yeah, but that's not like again, like, again, maybe that's my version of fairness and how I think about things. But like, I think if you said there's a pretty rational argument that you value time equally, mm-hmm. right? Like all people's time is valued equally. Like all men are created equal. All men's time is created equal. Mm-hmm. Like at its onset, and then like you you have some sort of like social tax on that that we all share or like you acknowledge that taking someone's attention probably but like if you were just like thing, but there's also if you created value. like a like because you're big you pay more it just seems like i don't know that seems well, rough to yeah. justify well it's certainly it's certainly very interesting and i appreciate that you brought that up because you have to look for fair i mean this, this happens all the time when you regulate industries right you say like hey like sustainable uh, fisheries we're gonna like we're, because you're not regulating themselves you're not regulating yourselves we're gonna charge you these exorbitant rates for safety procedures and all this stuff and then what you're really doing is you're actually hegemonically like enforcing like, yeah yeah you're actually helping you're the helping the, helping the winners. yeah for yeah, sure exactly. so I, I love that you bring that up and I think it's important to, to call all right that. okay so there's a, the, the, the regulation thing there's the similar one is there a, is what is there a third model that you're into um uh I don't is there a think, third way <laughs> a third way there's always a middle way um no, I mean, I think we talked about Apple or the other device players, so Microsoft and potentially Amazon if it chose to enter the race, or Finn. Someone who basically wanted to say, hey, we're going to build a SpaceX of phones, um, and we're going to build basically something that's actually all about human values, and we're going to make it so clear how different that world would be. So one of the things I'm Yeah, doing, look, I think it would be unbelievable if that worked. I think that would be super cool and industry-defining. If so, like, so I just am very skeptical, skeptical that, that so would here, work. Here's, here's the thing. So if you get someone like Lorene Jobs to say, look... Um, this is not the world that we were trying to create with Apple. Yeah, don't want to. This is this is literally against the 
there's a higher thing we're pulling on besides just financial incentives. And it's basically like, this is not what we want. I mean, we're it, difficult for public companies, difficult for public companies. I agree. But, um, you know, when Steve was at Apple, Steve Jobs, he would say, you know, we're, we're, we're not about being the biggest company, uh, the biggest, the, you know, the biggest uh, technology company. Which we're was a great way to become the biggest technology It's a great way to become the biggest company. <laughs> but, I mean, it's true because it's, it's not sustainable. Even now, I mean, when you're just basically building bigger phones and bigger screens, like, people burn out. That's actually not what they want. But is that actually true? I mean, like, I, I think if, it's if, true. I think the context is changing. The more we get out there and everybody understands that the system is adversarial to all of our Yeah, interests. yeah. Okay, so the, I'll like, go back to that. I think the third way you're articulating is, is basically consumer consumers awareness. need to change what they want. Right. Right. And if, I completely agree with you that if you can create a movement where consumers change what they want, problem solved. But right. the interesting thing to you before is you talk about your cycle of addiction and where we are. I mean, that's basically paying, like, you know – the way you break your addiction is you have to personally break your addiction because it isn't going to be, I mean, in the end of the day right now, and we literally just, you know, Apple just released like phones with like way more engaging screens. Yep. Right. And like, that's going to happen. Right. Yep. It's going to keep happening. Yep. And you and I can hang out and be hipsters that are like black and white, small phones. And sure, think we're it's pretty like cool, everybody getting high from like, corn syrup and the few people who know that's really bad. Don't do it. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. Well, dude, this was super fun. Yeah. I appreciate I, you taking the time this to is come great. by and talk about this stuff. Cause I just think it's like, a really important topic, and I think you've been really ahead of it. And I don't know. I find the actual implementations of those stuff and how you get there really murky, but it does seem still great to keep talking about it and figure some of the stuff out. Well, I'd love your help with it. I mean, it's literally something that affects literally everybody. It's not like this is just some kind of thing. I mean, this is like we're all in this ship that's like sinking together. So how do we like you know heal the ship? I like the I like the I like the attention tax idea. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I'd love to talk to you about it if you're interested in following up on that idea. We should uh, talk about how that could work. Anyway, great. <laughs>